Good morning. Oh, good morning, brothers and sisters in Jesus. I praise God for each and every one of you. Uh, what a blessed privilege to come and to share the Word of God, no matter where we're at. And I do hope and pray each and every one of you are well in the Lord. In the midst of this global shutdown, you know, the enemy would want nothing more uh, for us to be discouraged and to have the mindset of fear or mindset of defeat. You know, the enemy has his agents here upon earth attempting to do this very thing, to cast fear, to discourage. But God's Word tells us this, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and sound mind. Amen? God is so good. And God is so far greater than this coronavirus, the global shutdown, and all that's going on with it. Our God is in control. I want to read a scripture from Isaiah to start out this morning. Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 through 11. Remember the former things long past, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from the ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Amen? Father, we come before you this morning to give you thanks. Lord, we pray that as we humbly submit to you this morning with our hearts bowed down, now that our hearts would be open to hear your word. And we pray, God, that as you bring forth your word to each one of us, that we would draw closer to you, Lord. That we would see that you are like no other God, that there's no one like you, there's no thing like you, that you are God. And in the midst of this turmoil, the chaos, we know that you are working according to your perfect plan. You're working in the lives of people. We thank you for the testimonies we even heard this morning and how you are a redeemer with that great desire to rescue those out from the pit. And so this morning, Lord, as we come before you, would our hearts be open to hear what the Spirit says. May you, we be encouraged. May we be built up in the faith. And may we rejoice in the wonderful hope we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. So as I prepared for this message, it's, it's echoing a little bit. Is it? Yeah. All right, no problem. So as I prepared uh, for this message uh, this morning, I was totally planning on sharing Matthew 24. And as you know, uh, Calvary Christian Fellowship, you, you know that's the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus was sharing with his disciples uh, things that would happen in the future. And he was preparing them and telling them. And we know... Um, that Jesus was talking in terms of things yet future for us. 
in the tribulation period of time, which is yet future. And uh, Jesus in the Gospel of Luke said uh, in the Olivet Discourse, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And we know from the scriptures that it talks about birth pains and we see what's going on in the world today. We know the birth pains are intensifying. And the, you know, the rapture of the church is, is, is near. And it is my heart's desire that the body of Christ would understand God's timeline of things yet future. And the Lord pressed on my heart is that the body of Christ, Calvary Christian Fellowship, needs more of an encouraging word today. So the Lord's put some things in my heart, and it's my great desire that we would be encouraged in a special way. So I've titled this message, The Reality of Our Faith. The Reality of Our Faith. You know, one central theme throughout all of the Scriptures regarding our faith is that we are aliens on this earth. We are pilgrims. Uh, We are on earth waiting for our eternal destiny. We are nothing but a blip here on earth. Paul said it this way, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, again, Paul and Peter and so many of the apostles, their reality of their faith, one central element, this earth is not our home. Our home is in heaven. And as believers, we live with the expectation of meeting our Lord. And so for you and I, we live with the reality of our faith, waiting for the blessed hope. Now, Hopefully, uh, you've been paying attention to uh, not only here listening to Bible uh, teaching, but other places, the blessed hope. The blessed hope, a very key phrase for you and I as believers. Turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Blessed hope. What is our blessed hope? Well, this is how uh, it's explained in Titus chapter 2. Blessed hope. Let's look at verse 11. of Titus chapter 2. This is, this is Paul writing to Titus. I hope I, I misspoke a second ago. This is uh, Paul writing to Titus. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. So the grace of God having appeared, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus went to the cross and died on that cross, was buried, he rose again on the third day, and as the scripture says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our eternal salvation has appeared in Jesus. It's, it's man's greatest need. Those that are having no faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're wondering what's going on in this world, let me share with you, your greatest need is salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, because you are only going to spend a certain amount of time on heaven, or excuse me, on earth, and then you have an eternal destination. For those who call upon the name of the Lord, it's with the Lord in heaven. For those who don't, it's in a place called hell. 
where all will be resurrected, resurrected to life or to death. And Paul instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So again, back to the blessed hope. What is the blessed hope for you and I as believers? It's the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus. How awesome is that? The great hope that you and I have, in which the Bible says here, blessed hope, is meeting Jesus. If we die today as believers, we are going to stand in the presence of God. We are going to meet Jesus. But there's going to come a time when the Bible talks about the rapture of the church, when we are going to meet Jesus in the air. And we're going to see Jesus, our blessed hope. This is what we long for. This is reality of our faith. We are to live with this great expectation that Jesus Christ is coming again. And it's so central to the body of Christ that we read in the first century church. And it should be in our hearts this great expectation that I am going to very soon, with my blessed hope, living with expectation of meeting Jesus. Well, that was the introduction. Now turn with me to Psalm 57. Psalm 57. Psalm 57 is a very interesting psalm. It deals with a cave. Psalm 57 is known as a cave psalm. That and other psalms. But Psalm 57 has the psalmist David here and the context is and you can read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 22 it's when David was on the run from Saul remember David had been anointed king by Samuel and by the Lord Saul was having the kingdom ripped away from him and it was David a man after God's own heart and who would be king but yet with Saul being king he hated David, he saw the, the presence of God in his life, and he wanted to destroy him. And so even after being anointed by God to be king, David is on the run. And 1 Samuel chapter 22, we're told that he came, came to this cave of Adullam. And we know that at that particular time, David, his family came to meet him there. David also had his men there, men who were discontented, distressed, and in debt. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of us, doesn't it? <laughs> but it was a special time where David met with God in this cave. And when you think about this cave, I, you know, kind of a, a wow feeling. Just a couple months ago, I was in Israel, and I was in the, 
you know, in the cave of En Gedi, or not in it, but around it and in the wilderness, and really got a picture of David went through as he was running and hiding uh, from King Saul. And David, as he came into this cave, as we read this, I, I pray that the relevancy you would see for your own life. It's interesting, when you think about a cave, it speaks of an isolation. You know, as we have been in somewhat isolation, in our own caves, in this shutdown mode for the last six weeks, experiencing things that perhaps we've never experienced before, experiencing the effects of it, I should say, and maybe even beyond the, the shutdown situation, maybe caves speak relevance in the situations of our lives. I know some in our fellowship are going through rough times. I know rough times of not having our family around, not being able to see family. Some are experiencing physical affliction. Some are depressed. Some are living without joy. Although having that desire to seek God, and yet the joy is not there. Some have experienced bad news about their health. Well, I believe God can encourage us. And that's my motivation. That's my desire this morning, that we all would look to God and see the reality of our faith. And we see that with David when he's in this cave. You know, again, so many are, are dealing with emotional issues, thinking about the future. Thinking about, am I going to get back to work? What's it going to look like in six months? All these things are running through everybody's head, everybody's mind. Now, I want to really capture David's mindset here. So, as we look at Psalm 57, real quickly, I want to read from Psalm uh, 142, which it very well could have been the same place or same time in the cave of Abdullam, but I want to read this to capture the mindset of David. In verse 3 of Psalm 142, it says, When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, you knew my path. In the way where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, for there is no one who regards me. There is no escape for me. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. So this, this is David's mindset here. No one cares for his soul. And this speaks certainly of lack of uh, companionship and fellowship in the afflictions of life. And it's in this cave experience that David experienced feeling lonely and lowly. And it reminds me, folks, the reality of our faith, even as followers of God. There are going to be times when we go through things, experience things that might not make sense and bring us to a place where our spirit is overwhelmed, maybe filled with anxious thoughts, maybe so discouraged that you don't think straightly, straight, correctly, properly. <laughs> but just overwhelmed with the spirit of despair, a lack of joy. What are we to do in those times? Well, I know what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to walk in defeat. 
But God does not give us a spirit of fear. He gives us a spirit of power and love and sound mind. What are we to do? Well, let's look at what David says. As he was in that cave, he called out to God. Look at verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge until destruction passes by. And so David's calling out to the Lord. And when he says, for my soul takes refuge in you, he's saying deep within him, he was thirsting for God and making the proclamation that he would trust in him. In plain language, even in the, in the midst of this time of running from Saul, even in this time of waiting on the Lord for the promises of God to come uh, to fruition in his life, even in times of distress here, David believes that God is going to come through. That's called faith. Not faith in faith, but faith in God. That's, a, that's something that we need to look at together. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. How is faith defined? Well, this is how the Word of God defines faith. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So in other words, when everything else seems to be sending out opposite signals of what you want to believe for, faith essentially is a handle on what we cannot see. Faith disregards the circumstances, the situations around us, looking to God and grabbing God. Essentially, our faith and its substance is God. I can't say I have faith in faith if that faith is not God. David, as we're seeing here, he's making this proclamation to God. I will make you, I will, uh, you are my refuge. I will make you my refuge. He's, he's expecting God to come through even when his circumstances show something else. And I want to show you something else in Hebrews 11. A verse that continually, continually is spoken to me and really is in connection with the reality of our faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Faith in God. It's impossible to please God without faith. So David could have been in the cave just crying and moaning. And sometimes we see David in the Psalms. Throughout his life, there are times when it wasn't exactly that David was expressing faith in God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God that is so 
vital for us to understand that even in the midst of my circumstances and bad situations, I can come to God and allow Him to work in my heart. And that's what happened in, in the cave. That's what happens when we're in our caves, when we trust God, when we simply go to Him. And listen, it says, comes to God, must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. God rewards those who place their faith and trust in Him and walk in agreement with what God's Word says. What does God's Word say about you and I? Well, we are citizens of heaven. This is not our home. This is not the world that we are going to be spending our eternity in. We also have so many other promises in the Word of God that we must activate, that we must believe. And the key is, is that we always go to Him. The enemy wants us to be discouraged and to stay away from God, to, to stay away from God's people, to stay away from His Word, stay away from praying. Anything that involves faith, the enemy wants to discourage us from participating in that. And that's why it's so important that we are in the Word of God, even in the mornings that we feel despair. Even in the morning, so I don't feel like getting in the Word, or in the afternoon or evening, anytime you do your devotion, so that's why it's important. I'm going to express faith in God. I'm going to get into His Word because He knows what I need today. He knows what the strength I need, and He's going to provide the exact strength that I need. And maybe some days you might not hear His voice clearly, but when you remain steadfast into His Word, continually coming to Him, it says right here, when we express faith in Him, He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. What's He reward us with? He rewards us with Himself. Amen? So, I want to point out another scripture to you to point out this, having faith. And to really show that faith, listen, faith is just not saying it. I can say things all day long. I can say the Reds are going to win the World Series this, this year. They, they might not even be playing baseball this year. It's more than saying it. It's believing and acting on it. Um, turn with me to Acts chapter 27. I want to show you something. I want to show you what we're talking about here. Faith with the expectation that God is going, going to come through even in the midst of bad circumstances, look at uh, Acts chapter 27. In the context here, Paul is being transported to Rome. In verse 22, he's on this ship. They're going to be shipwrecked. And listen to what Paul, remember he is a prisoner, and he's talking to a bunch of non-believers, those who didn't have faith in God. Listen to what he says. Yet now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you, Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe, God, that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? The circumstances were bad. They were going to shipwreck. There very well likely should have been people die. But guess what? 
the Lord, the angel of the Lord told Paul that it's going to be okay. Why? Because God had a plan. God is going to see that plan through. And it's the same way for you and I. God is in control. His plan is activated in our lives today. We don't need to live with fear or despair because our citizenship is not here on earth. It is in heaven. And we have the living God with us. And so here I want to point out, Paul wasn't just saying these things to be positive. He wasn't saying this thing, if I can just tell them to take courage, maybe they'll drum up enough strength on their own that we won't, we won't, we won't shipwreck and die. No, Paul believed that they were going to shipwreck and they weren't going to die. He wasn't just being positive not to be negative. He was demonstrating his faith in God and he knew that God was going to intervene because God's plan was for him to go and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now if we go back to Psalm 57. Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. When Paul says, shadow of your wings, we might get the picture of a hen, a mother hen putting her chicks beneath her wing until the storm passes by. It's a great illustration. But David's illustration, what was in his mind, was a far more greater illustration than that it was in the heavenlies. He was thinking of the cherubim. He was thinking uh, thinking of the cherubim, these angelic creatures that are in heaven that oftentimes speak of the immediate presence of God. These angels minister to God, and they hover over His presence. And in the tabernacle, in the Ark of the Covenant, you had the two cherubim on the lid of the Ark, on the, on the mercy seat. And on that seat, the actual Shekinah glory, the cloud of God's glorious presence dwelt there. And so this is what David's in his mind and what he's experiencing as he's calling out to God. He's calling himself, God being his refuge, and he's thinking about the presence of God protecting him. Do you understand, folks? We have God's protection for us as believers. And it says, until destruction passes by. As David was calling upon the Lord in faith, taking refuge in the presence of God, we, we see that there's a waiting period. Waiting until the destruction was passing by. For you and I, we're in our caves, and we're waiting for this coronavirus thing to pass us by. We are waiting. And I don't know why, folks, every time I start thinking about what it's going to be like when this is over, I'm not thinking in terms of getting back to normal because I don't know what normal is going to be. But what I do picture is that the body of Christ with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're kind of pinned up now. Not that we're quarantined because the gospel is going out, but we need to come out of the cage, our cave, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. In faith, if we believe that Jesus is coming, if we believe that that time is so close, we will want to share the gospel of Jesus like we never have before. Why? Because God loves people. And he doesn't desire anybody to perish. And we need to have the heart of God. That's a prayer for us. 
that we would have compassion on people. There are a lot of people out there that aren't living with the hope that we have. There's people walking all over Walmart, scared to death, out of their minds almost, have no idea that there's hope out there. We have an opportunity like no other time. You know, another word for destruction is calamity. It speaks of destructive storm. And we have to wait out the storm, don't we? Sometimes we, in our crisis, in the afflictions that we might experience of suffering here on earth, there's times that we have to wait. We have to wait on the Lord and trust Him, allow God to do His thing, and we can trust in Him. He's our refuge. We're in the shadow of His wings. David, I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. Uh, what an experience here in the cave that David can have this confidence in God that God is working out His perfect plan in David. See, on the horizontal, or without looking vertical to God, there would be a lot of doubt in David's mind. He had been anointed king over Israel to be God's man to lead Israel. And yet now he's on the run, Saul wanting to kill him, chasing him like a dog. And David can say, I will cry to God most high, the God who accomplish, accomplishes all things for me. Oh, the plan of God. Do you know, folks, as we are in our caves, God is performing his plan with our lives. Philippians 1.6 says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's another, another reflection on meeting Jesus. And we know that day is coming, whether I lose my life here on earth or Jesus comes. There's going to be a day that I am before the Lord Jesus Christ. And David continues then in verse 3 of Psalm 57, He will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me, and God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. My soul is among lions. I must lie among those who breathe forth fire. Even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. David brings up this language and it shows us that he certainly has not forgotten the situations, the tough circumstances in his life. Even after calling out to God, his circumstances are real. And it's interesting, he says, my soul is among lions. David had many enemies. They were Saul trying to kill him. Others, as he went through his life, tried to kill him. And when you think about the church, I'm reminded of what Peter said in 1 Peter. Uh, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking to whom he may devour. Again, 
There's threats from the devil in our life. We're living in the midst of lions. We're living in the midst of these who are casting out lies, breathing forth fire. Folks, we have to understand the days we're living in, like no other time in my lifetime, we're seeing a, a spiritual battle that's always been in the heavenlies. It's being played out now on earth. The enemy has his agents here on earth trying to cast out fear to every man. But as the body of Christ, we have to understand something about the lion. I love what Charles Spurgeon, the great Charles Spurgeon, and wanting to give advice and comfort to the body of Christ. Listen to this. And you can, you can identify with the lions or the thing that the enemy wants to bring in your life or the circumstances that you're dealing with life that's bringing despair. You can count on these things. If you are among lions, you will have fellowship with Jesus and His church. If you are among lions, you be, will be driven nearer to God. If you're among lions that want to take you out, remember that God has them on a leash. I love that. The lion that we read about in 1 Peter chapter 5, chapter 5 verse 8, he has no teeth and God has him on a leash. The enemy has nothing over you, dear believer. Nothing. If you are among lions, remember there is another lion from the tribe of Judah. His name is Jesus. David proclaimed that he lived among the sons of men who breathed forth fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows. You know, the enemy, when it, when it all comes and sometimes when we're isolated, even without a coronavirus, it seems like the whole world is coming against us. What are we to do? Well, we do again what David's doing. I see this awesome work of God in this cave with David. As he first once calls out to God, he's drawing out to God, drawn to God, and God, with faith it's possible to please God. Without faith, it's not. We're seeing the rewards here of a man of faith. Look at verse 5. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit before me. They themselves have fallen into the midst of it. Even in the midst of his circumstances, David can have victory because he's called upon God. This is the reality of our faith. David wants God to be exalted. When we are drawn to God and we call out to God and we want God to be exalted, it opens up the door for the promises of God to be activated in our life. It also leads to a heart. The result of David being in this cave, calling upon the Lord in the midst of God's presence, waiting on the Lord in faith, knowing that God was indeed going to act on his behalf, it's praise. It's praise. Look at verse 7 through 11. He says, My heart is steadfast. <laughs> 
O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises. Awake, my glory, awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your loving kindness is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. You know, one, one word comes to my mind right, right here. In, in that cave, as David called out to the Lord, and as he says these things, and he draws near to God, when he can say to God who accomplishes all things for me, even in the midst of the turmoil, he had peace because of God. It takes a great deal of faith to believe that God's working out his plan in your life in the midst of all this. It takes faith to take that step continually to him, not knowing, you know, what the end result will be. We know the end result is going to be our relationship with God, but the situations and how things can come in or what if it doesn't happen and all these things that enter our mind, but when the focus is on God, believing, trusting in God, the reward to us then and back to God is praise. Praise. It's a blessing to praise God. And praise as we simply in faith praise God for He alone is worthy, it activates things in our life. Like, it accelerates answers to prayer. You ever notice that in your life? When you're wanting God to intervene in your life and maybe He leads you in, uh, to, to a time of waiting, isn't it amazing that when you simply say, okay, Lord, I'm just going to praise you despite what might go on. I'm going to praise you. It's amazing how he just intervenes. God's always working in a way for us to have greater faith in him, to depend on him, because he's God, and he desires for, for us to live in such a way. But it, praise accelerates answer to prayer. And what about this? Praise encourages the miraculous. I don't know if, if miracles happen in your life. I can say this, if you are a born-again believer, there's a big miracle that's happened in your life. God intervened in your life. And because your faith in Jesus and what he's done, you're going to be in heaven. You didn't do that on your own. That's an act of God. That's something supernatural. He did it. He gets praise for it. It's a miracle. But God wants to do a lot of things that he and he alone can take credit for. That's a miracle. Think about in Acts chapter 16 when Paul and his team was thrown into prison in Philippi. In fact, they were not only thrown into prison, they were beaten and stretched and thrown in jail. And they didn't go crying around, saying, what's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to us? They started singing hymns of praise, it says. Hymns of praise. I'm convinced they were singing victory in Jesus. Victory in Jesus. 
And as they were praising God, these hymns of praise, God intervened. God intervened because God had a plan for Paul's life. God had a plan for Paul's life that he was going to go forth, fulfill that mission of spreading the gospel and going to Caesar and you know going to Rome. And so as they were praising the Lord, God intervened. There was an earthquake. They were the the, the gates, the chains were opened up, and guess what? They were set free, but something even greater happened. The Philippian jailer thought his life was over. You remember the story. Paul asked for lights to come on. He asked for the lights to show the Philippian jailer that they didn't depart, that they were there. And the Spirit of God worked in the Philippian jailer's heart, and he said, what must I do to be saved? God works that way today. We must only have to ask in such a way. And perhaps we need to praise Him more and more. But the point of this, praise encourages the miraculous. I think of Second Chronicles chapter 20, uh, when the Ammonites and the Moabites were coming against Israel and the, uh, the uh, uh, Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat. And they were outnumbered. They thought they were doomed. In Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12, Jehoshaphat calling out to God, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And God intervened in such a way. And then another person in there, they spoke the Spirit. The Spirit spoke forth, saying, you know what? You don't even worry about God has a handle on this. And so what they do, they praise the Lord. And when the, uh, the, it was time for battle, Jehoshaphat sends out the praise team and God intervened and they had great, great victory. Praise encourages the miraculous. God wants to work in miraculous ways in our lives. God wants to do what only He can do in our lives. And sometimes we're just not asking Him. Sometimes we don't have that mindset Sometimes maybe we're not calling out to Him, knowing and expecting that He hears us and He wants to intervene. Praise also drives the devil away. Uh, you think about King David, uh, the times that you know, King Saul would have him come play the harp. We're told that an evil spirit was on Saul. He was depressed, he lacked joy, he was being tormented. And then when David took the harp, praising the Lord and played in front of Saul, then Saul was refreshed. And aren't we told that we should encourage one another with psalms and hymns and praises to the Lord? Praise is so powerful in our life. Praise brings us into God's presence and leads us to lives lived in victory. As David was in this cave, he fled into the immediate presence of God. And for you and I, we have this access to God as believers. Turn with me and we'll close with Psalm 18. Psalm 18. It's a psalm of deliverance. It's a song of victory, a song of deliverance. 
It says, I love you, Lord, my strength. David was not just saying this for comfort. I love you, Lord. You are my strength. He's saying this from an experiential context. He's experienced the presence of God in his life. He's experienced God giving him victory. Oh, his circumstances were going to be there. But David had victory. Verse 2 says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. You know, there are people in our lives and even in our midst that love God, but yet there are strongholds there. And the Lord's wanting to be their fortress. And for any who are listening this morning or watching, this is how God wants to intervene in your life. He wants to give you this victory. He wants to be that fortress. So whether it be drugs, alcohol, bad relationships, or relationships that aren't of the Lord, whatever it might be, maybe it's fear. Maybe body of Christ, someone in our fellowship, you might be dealing with fear. God wants to be your strength. He wants to be your rock. What are we to do? In victory, David says, verse 3, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be saved, worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Now we understand when David was in the cave of Adullam, he would be delivered. But there would be another cave. David's focus was God. God described him as a man after my own heart. But David was a man of the flesh as well. And what kept David on track is that he would call upon the Lord. May we in our hearts, as we are living in times of being in a cave, may we call out to God, my God, my God, be gracious to me, be gracious to me. We must call upon the Lord. He wants to encourage us. And folks, I share with you in our hearts with all that is going on, we're living in these last days. Everything is being lined up. All the dots are being connected from the Word of God and what we see is going to happen in the future. There's one thing, one thing that is holding back things. As Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the restrainer. The Holy Spirit. Folks, we know that as the body of Christ having the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, that time when Jesus comes back for His church is very, very near. All the times that Jesus speaks of the tribulation times that we see in the Olivet Discourse, that's yet future. But the birth pains are intensifying. Things are lining up. The question is, are you ready? 
Are you ready to meet Jesus? That's a question for all of us. For those who don't know Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior, you're going to meet Him. And the Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess Jesus Christ as Lord. For believers, we're going to meet Him, our sin having been paid, but will we meet Him with joy? Will there be faith in your life when He comes? Well, we do have an announcement for you. Next Sunday, May 10th, Calvary Christian Fellowship will have the doors open. I am under the conviction and others the body of Christ has been created to worship our God. We are created to come and to worship Him on the day the Lord has given us. That's Sunday mornings. And we intend to have the doors open next Sunday, May 10th, that the body of Christ at Calvary Christian Fellowship can come to worship our God in one accord. The worship of God is central to our lives. It is our livelihood. It's Jesus is our life. We come to worship God based on what He has done for us in true worship, giving Him thanks and adoration to Him because He deserves it. The church of Jesus Christ is essential. I believe in my heart as God has shown me there's people in our fellowship and all church that need this worship time. I want to very clearly point out something. We are not opening our doors to shake our fist at the government. But we are going to worship the Lord because the Lord has directed us. We live for the Lord. We live in, in the midst of great turmoil in our world, in our country, in our communities. But we live for the gospel of Jesus and what Jesus Christ has done for us. Again, it's essential that the body of Christ are able and willing to meet, to worship our God. We will have guidelines set, and we will get those out to you. And we want to encourage any believer, if for any reason you do not feel comfortable coming in the midst of people, we want to encourage you to stay home. There will not be any condemnation. We want to encourage people who aren't feeling well, please stay home. We want to encourage people to come and we will be spread out. We will honor, as we should, social distancing, but we will worship our God without fear. We live for Him. We have a mission, and that mission is the gospel of Jesus, and for us to fulfill that mission of God, we must meet to worship Him, to be strengthened by Him, to be in His Word together. We have been created as people to worship God, and we have been created to worship our God together in unity and one accord with one another. So, Father, we come before You this day. We thank You for Your Word from Psalm 57, and we pray that Your Spirit would lead us to take heed, to call out to our God to live with that expectation, whatever we're living, going through in life, that you're going to see it for good, that you are working according to your plan. And so we surrender to you, Lord. 
And Father, we pray for the body of Calvary Christian Fellowship that you would bless us with your presence. Each and every day, Lord, as believers go through this time, this global shutdown, I pray that beginning this very hour, Lord, their hearts are opened up, strengthened, encouraged, comforted, knowing that our great God is in control. And Lord, that as we live in joy, knowing that we are, we are confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in us will to see it to completion. And Lord, we, may we live with the wonderful hope, our blessed hope, that Jesus, Lord Jesus, you are coming. Let us live with that expectation. Let us live with the pursuit of you, Father God. And may we pursue those who don't know you, Lord. Lord, may you be lifted up this morning as we close in honoring you and praising you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. And all our hope is in Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I've been held by the Savior. I've felt return All my hope is in Jesus Thank God that yesterday's gone All my sins are forgiven I've been washed by the blood stranger to prison I've worn shackles and chains but I've been freed and forgiven not going back never be the same that's why I sing now Yesterday's gone. All my sins are forgiven. I've been washed by the blood. There's a kind of thing I just break so bad. Broken more than a time or two, yes, Lord. He picked me up, showed me the way. That's why I sing now. All my hope is in Jesus. Thank God, my yesterday's gone. All my sins are forgiven. 
yesterday's gone. All my sins are forgiven. I've been washed by the blood. I've been washed by the Jesus, we do thank you that as we've just sang unto you, we've been washed by the blood, forgiven by your sacrifice. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.